This episode was previously recorded using our old podcast name. To find out more about why we decided to change our name, listen back to episode 32 entitled, Why We Changed Our Name. Hey friends, welcome to Kings and Queens, a podcast about life and ministry in the kingdom of God. My name is Joseph, and in today's episode, Nicole and I are pulling back the curtain a little bit and sharing our story about what happened during our time in Vancouver. If you've been following our story since the beginning, you'll probably know bits and pieces, but today we wanted to share more about our story in hopes that it encourages other people who may have experienced something similar in their church. We are going to jump right into it today because this was definitely the hardest season of life we've ever had to go through as a family. Agree? Yeah, for sure. As we vaguely mentioned before, a few years ago, we lived in British Columbia, Canada, and I was the youth pastor at a mega church in downtown Vancouver. I ended up getting fired from that church and we were excommunicated from the entire community. Because of our work status in Canada, we were forced back to the States with no idea what to do as we tried to restart our life. We have been mostly quiet about this over the last two years as we have processed the experience with therapists and spiritual directors and friends and mentors. Even though we have experienced a ton of healing and have grown in so many ways since these events, we know that many people have not had the privilege of healing and may still be in spiritually abusive environments. So before we dive in, just want to say a few things. First, if that's you and you're still in that environment, I just want you to know that we see you, we love you, and your experience is valid. We want to help you process whatever you're going through, so stick around to the end of the episode, and if you need to, please reach out to us. We would love to help or listen to your story. Now, there's so much about our time in Vancouver that was really, really beautiful. We had people and opportunities and relationships and ministry that we loved, and a lot of it was really, really good. We're still in contact with a few of our old youth leaders and friends, and we love them very dearly. And though the end of our time in Vancouver was traumatic and brutal in so many ways for us, our experience did lead us to the place that we're in today, and we've never been more healthy and more at peace, and so for that, we're thankful. As I have processed all of this with my therapist, shout out Sarah, I have gotten professional help when it comes to dealing with the trauma associated with my story. I have come to realize that this is just exactly that, my story. This is my experience. Nicole has a different one. Our kids have a different one. The people back in Vancouver have a different one. And all of them have tons of different factors that play into how they process and what I process what happens to us. We want to say that if you have experienced any sort of trauma, spiritual abuse at your church, to please prioritize talking with a licensed and trained professional. Seek mental health care and talk with a trained and certified therapist or counselor if you can't afford it. There's often times of shame and stigma around spiritual trauma and therapy, but we want to do our best to remove that and to encourage you to get professional help, however it's possible for your circumstances. It's such an important step in the healing process. Second, uh, we want to encourage taking care of yourself. If you need to leave your church, stop going to church altogether, stop reading your Bible, or even just take a break from quote-unquote Christianity, that's totally fine. Let us give you permission to do that. God will not be angry with you. God will not be upset with you. There are plenty of other ways outside of your specific local church to connect with God. So prioritize healing, take care of yourself, 
and trust your gut. So that being said, the first part of this episode will be sharing specifically about what happened in Vancouver, and the second part will be sharing how God has met us in the chaos, discouragement, trauma, and grief, and how we have found healing. So let's dive in. Okay, so let's start by the most basic question that everybody wants to know. What even happened in Vancouver? Well, a lot happened in Vancouver. Um, When we first got there, everything, for the most part, was amazing. I got this job mostly because I was a visionary. I was young. I was eager. I was zealous. I was basically a kid in ministry who was so excited to get kind of my first big shot at big church. I felt like I had been given this incredible opportunity to plant a youth ministry with a huge ministry budget and lots of resources and relationships and facilities and leaders and ministry clout. And it felt like, honestly, a dream come true. It was everything that a young reformed seminary graduate like myself at the time could have asked for. And I think I would say, you might disagree with this, but the first two years were kind of a legit honeymoon phase in terms of ministry. There were lots of amazing opportunities and seemed like I was kind of on the right track to success, which in this church meant planting a church. And one thing I noticed early on was that there was always this kind of potential radar on me. Like, how would Joseph handle this situation? What would he say? Would he submit to us? Would he align with us? Was he willing to say or write or preach or do what he's supposed to do in order to win the approval of the elders? Which kind of felt a little bit off, but I just accepted it as the way things were and were just part of the assessment process for being a church planter. Now, if you can imagine, this church was an absolute copy and paste of Mars Hill in Seattle. And if you know anything about what happened in Mars Hill, it did not end well, which should have been our first clue that it was a bit of a mess. But at the time, that was exactly where I was in terms of my theology and the way that I did ministry and the way that I saw the church. So I was kind of fully on board. But Nicole, I think you would say you saw a few red flags pretty early, but I was kind of blinded by my zeal. Well, and I think for my experience, there's something with the women in my family that just have this heavy spirit on us when encountering people and just feel like we have this good judge of character. And when we interviewed, I just had... A weird feeling about one of the pastors um, and I communicated that to Joseph and he definitely had rose-colored glasses on that whole week um, and it was just something that I just kind of had the sense that maybe they were threatened or different because he was American and that we were gonna I don't know raise more hell than we set out to or something um, he was young we were some of the youngest people on staff. So yeah, I didn't think it was all amazing. I also am coming off of an experience where I was having my dream job that I just left to move to a country where we didn't know anybody and I didn't even have a work status. So like you said, our experiences were different and we're kind of focusing a little bit more on Joseph's, but I already, because of that, had my radars up when Joseph's were totally down. Yeah, I kind of saw it as like, okay, this is an opportunity. This is like kind of my big break and I want to like make the most of it. And 
One of the big things that we saw early on was that it was really important that the church and the staff submit to the elders. And the elders were sort of a boys club. And if you grew up kind of in white evangelicalism, that is very common and very familiar to you. But they were all white men who were basically a yes man to the lead pastor, which honestly made sense because this lead pastor was a super gifted and charismatic guy. From the front, he looked like this bold, passionate, charismatic leader, but behind the scenes, it was really brutal. And the problem was that he could preach and teach and lead like nobody's business. Like he was actually really, really good at those things. He was bringing in money and people and resources and making this massive machine move and grow and advance in the city. And from what I recall, the story that they told was that he planted the church. He grew it from like 20 to almost 2000. And this leader really knew how to get things done. And in the midst of all of that, over the course of a couple of years, there grew to be three sort of trigger topics and situations that started to cause a rift between our ministry and the leadership of the lead pastor and the other elders. And the first one was racial justice. The second one was women in leadership. And the third was the role of Holy Spirit in the church. There were others, but the more I personally, as a leader, began to press into some of these areas, the more pushback I received. And it became very clear that the emotional health of the leadership was essentially non-existent. And we began, Nicole and I, and those in our community, those we were leading in youth ministry, really began to press into that idea of emotional health and being honest and taking feedback and looking at our shadows and family of origin. And if you know anything about that, uh, I would highly recommend Pete and Jerry Scazzaro and all of their work around emotional health. We'll link it in the show notes, but it really changed our life. But one thing that happened was as we pressed into this idea of emotional health, we started to notice emotional unhealth, both in ourselves and the people around us. And I could talk at length about how all of these topics began to cause problems with the leadership in, in the church, but it basically boiled down to our theology and philosophy of ministry started to shift in specifically in regards to racial justice, female elders, and the role of the Holy Spirit in a community among, honestly, lots of other issues. But over time, things started to get really, really bad. The elders were very set on wanting me to sit down, shut up, and submit to them and their theology, which they honestly told me on numerous times in numerous meetings over the course of the time that I was there. But there were so many examples of just kind of being berated and mistreated and demeaned for who I was, what I believed, and what I was doing in the church. And what started to happen was a lot of our community and staff felt similarly about these issues and started to share with me similar experiences of silencing from the elders. They had heard about these things that Holy Spirit was doing in youth and were coming to me with feelings of being mistreated and threatened and abused and rejected and isolated and maligned by the powerful people in the community. And I honestly, I'm a young leader. I'm in my mid-20s. I don't have a lot of experience in these things. I had no idea what to do. And I made a ton of mistakes. 
and I tried my best to shepherd and lead people and I didn't do a good job of that and I have kind of owned that and learned from that. But in the time, there seemed to be this momentum of people who were advocating for women in ministry and wanting to surrender to what Holy Spirit seemed to be up to and wanting there to be a plurality of leadership and generosity and humility when it came to theological differences. And unfortunately, there just became more and more hostility between the people and the elders. And I was actually talking with someone recently and they kind of put it this way and it really made sense to me. And I don't know if uh, maybe you can relate to this listening, but the leadership of any organization, specifically a church, will give power to people who they like or think can benefit the system most. These are gifted and talented and loyal people. So oftentimes what happens is they offer some amount of power. Maybe it's a lead volunteer role or an internship, or in my case, being the youth pastor or a worship team or whatever, and you get a little bit of power. And then when they give you that power, they expect the utmost loyalty because like they gave you that power and you should be thankful for it. But when you start to color outside the lines or have any pushback or new ideas or start to shift and change anything, it's like they're threatened and cut you off from any source of influence and power, which is exactly, in my case, what ended up happening. Over time, things got progressively worse. The elders became more and more threatened, as Nicole said, by these conversations around abuse and emotional health and theology and ministry. And I ended up getting fired. Our whole family was excommunicated and we were asked to sign a non-disclosure agreement and we were completely removed from fellowship. So, Nicole, what was that like for you? <laughs> oh, man. Um, well, I just want to backtrack a smidge and just some of the things that you were talking about. I just felt during this whole experience of Joseph usually had staff meetings on Wednesday and would come home usually pretty defeated. And I always wondered, are you fired today? There, there just never felt like security there just because someone was always mad about something he was doing or saying or the stance he was taking on those things that he mentioned. And I just keep going back to the thought that it's so unfortunate that you as a 25-year-old 26 somewhere in there somewhere but before we move between 25 and 30 that these seasoned people in ministry wouldn't have taken the opportunity to even if they didn't like what you were doing to at least like provide a little bit of coaching or a little bit of experience or some I don't know maybe tender care along the way of like hey let me kind of take you under my wing you're new here even to show you the ropes, even if they were unhealthy ropes, but something that you could kind of trace back to, it wasn't kind of like figure it out. And if you're going to do it wrong, you're going to get in trouble for it, which again, just was like this living in fear mentality. And then that kind of just translated to me as a wife, like seeing these people on a Sunday, there was literally probably one elder that I loved that we spent holidays with and to this day, their still house. Love. Yes. And we're so kind and generous and just really warm. And everyone else I was basically afraid of because I didn't know like how Joseph's standing was and all of this. So having that intimidation when I'm walking past their offices, like, I'm fine, I'm good. I'm like being behaved. There was like he said, this leadership role 
that kind of felt domineering on every level. And so, as Joseph just asked, we weren't allowed to come back. Um, and that was probably one, one of the hardest things because I had started a ministry for moms and had poured in a lot of time and energy and work into that. Um, and I wasn't even allowed to go to the event that I had planned because it was on church property. Um, my kids couldn't go to any of the kids' time things that were organized. They couldn't go to Sunday school. Um, that was part of the agreement that we had to sign. And Vancouver was a very costly city to live in. Therefore, we didn't have the ability to crank up our savings. So we lived on what we could. And having a non-disclosure agreement was basically like holding it over our heads because we needed the severance money. So while they loved to say, we're going to take care of you, you're like family, so let us throw some money at you to survive a, a little bit. It was also at the cost of like, you can't share your experience with anybody. You're not allowed to tell anybody. We'll take care of it. Which meant they got to control the narrative of what happened. And Yes. And that was really difficult. And I mean, we owed it to some of the original youth leaders because we did not feel like that was right, that that would just get dropped on them. Who knows when and how. So that was really difficult to feel like you gave so much and sacrificed so much. And my own self of like, I left my dream job. I left being in a little bit closer proximity to family to come and do this, to feel like I'm being like a great wife. I'm super supportive. I'm bringing my kids and putting them down to like make this ministry thrive. And they don't care at all. It just felt like a kick in the teeth. Um, the firing was pretty brutal. That um, My experience just with this was really personal because the day before Joseph got fired, I ended up having a conversation with the pastor that was spirit-led for on my part. It was a um, bold conversation. It was a very bold conversation because the church is highly complementarian. I didn't really feel like I had a voice or a space, but I felt like... I needed to kind of speak my piece. And so I did that the day before. And long story there, but um, the pastor ended up letting me know that Joseph was going to get fired the next day, mostly because I asked, which I don't know if that was like inappropriate or not to like answer me. But like now that weight was on me, which was weird. Um, and then I told Joseph, which ended up being a youth night. So um, a lot of like kind of icky situations happened that just made me feel emboldened, but also like very uncomfortable that these things have to be done. But um, the displacement of our family, the having to leave the country because our work status changed, I just was so furious at the fact of like, did they even think about that? Like this isn't, we're the only like U.S. citizens you have on staff. Did you think about what this meant for Joseph's wife and for their two kids, one being a pretty fresh baby that now they can no longer even live in Canada. So not only do they have to find alternative work, but they also have to leave the country and like immigrate back to the States. It's just like a headache of a lot of paperwork. And we've talked about that before in our entrance into Portland, but it's all of those things that I, I just 
don't feel like it would have been that hard to fire someone way better. Like you have differences, fine. Do you think we would have wanted to be there or lasted there forever? No, absolutely not. But there are ways that are a little bit more healthy to go about this. Um, And side note, if you go to a church or if you work at a church, please try to get an HR department. Yes, that would be very nice. Yeah, it was an absolutely horrific experience. It led, I know for me, to so much shame and guilt and regret and anger and rage and has literally taken me years to recover from. And despite all the trauma and shame and despair of all of that, we did end up starting the long, hard road of healing. Yeah, so for our second part, Nicole, why don't you share a little bit about our transition to Portland? We kind of already talked about this in a previous episode, um, but just kind of take us through what that was like in those first early days, maybe those first six months, not like logistically, but like being the wife of a wildly emotional, depressed, angry Joseph. Yes. Well, you named it. You said it. Um. Yeah, it was quite a roller coaster to have to transition from a life that was steady feeling, even though the job situation wasn't awesome. Uh, we had friends and community, and it's the home we brought our children home from the hospital to, and all of those things. So leaving that was awful, and obviously my best friend still lives there, so that was brutal. But coming to Portland was a whole slew of messes. Mostly beautiful, but really awful. We came to Bridgetown Church, which was like our saving grace to be part of a community that was approaching the same things that we were trying to do back in Vancouver. So it kind of felt like a breath of fresh air there. But at the same time, on the other side of that, it was the first time probably in our whole marriage that we were never known at a church community. Joseph was always on staff. I'd always grew up in some sort of system there. We always went to a church that we had the ability to kind of volunteer right away. And that kind of gave us some status or position or some community and friends. And here in Portland, that just didn't work. We moved in the summer and they were on break um, from their like normal rhythms. And so we couldn't even join a community. So... Joseph was on the job hunt and was looking for a long time. Obviously, we needed to make ends meet. And as you know from previous podcasts, worked quite far from our house um, at a mall selling mattresses. And we only have one car. So that left me stranded at home with the two kids all day, not knowing anybody. But I I know this sounds super like Christian-y and corny, but I I know it's only because of the spirit like resting so heavy on me in this season that I was able to not go into some sort of like deep despair. I think at first I thought I can't feel what I need to feel because Joseph is feeling all the things and this is brutal for him and I need to be there. But as time went on, I just found that I had the strength to do such like to kind of shoulder a lot of it 
Um, taking the Emotionally Healthy Women class um, really helped me learn how to care for him and care for our kids well. And it was just this weird time of nothing is working out the way we had kind of planned on paper of why we chose to move to Portland. It was all kind of like, here's an idea, but it probably won't pan out. And it's wild to look back to think like that was probably the season with the most growth in our whole life and marriage and nothing went according to plan. And that seems pretty on brand for God anyway, at least for the Petersons here. Um, but it was a very sweet time for me to just be with Joseph and to let him feel what he needed to feel and not try to fix it and say all the positives and at least we're not this and we can do this and look at the bright side. God's got a plan. Yeah, of just like, this is the worst and I'm so sorry and I can't really imagine what you're feeling as you are the one that got fired. Like, yes, we're a couple and we're one and all of those things, but I didn't have to go through the same sort of work environment that you had to go through. And that's going to be a different process. And so even for people listening, the fact that sometimes you just need someone to affirm how you're feeling without trying to fix it. And if you're the person like me who just wants to fix it so you can move on, practice exercises of just listening to people and don't offer any advice or any way to relate or any other person you know that went through something similar to give as an example, but just to be with them and sit and listen and affirm and kind of just wait to see what spirit wants to do in and through you. And sometimes maybe it's nothing. Sometimes it's a lot, but. Yeah, and I, I think for me in some ways, the healing was way harder than the actual experience because while everything was happening in Vancouver, I was still able to kind of do what I love, which is be a pastor. And once that was over and my dream was kind of like dead, my reputation was destroyed and I had nothing to kind of distract myself with. So as Nicole said, we moved to Portland. I worked at a mall selling mattresses and that was like kind of my lowest point of all time, just like eating lunch in the food court while I sold sheets and pillows and mattress covers and ironed pillowcases all day. And I was just in such a bad spot. And Nicole mostly took the brunt of my discouragement and my depression as she said, but it was just really hard to not be working at a church. That's all I had known for years. But I would say my journey of healing really started when I just became honest with myself and with Nicole, and most importantly, with God. I would just journal and pray and vent and cuss at God and write down all my frustrations and just lament and grieve and be honest about what I was feeling. And not like in a religious or like a plastic or a safe way. I feel like I really honed my expletives in this time <laughs> because I was just vulnerable before the Lord. And I would just like tell God how I was feeling in that moment and how frustrated I was at everything that was happening. And I realized how important it was for me to be honest with myself and be honest with God. I had a few really close friends at the community we were a part of. 
that really listen to me well and help me along the way as I process everything. And things very, very slowly over time started to get a little bit better. And one thing I started spending intentional time doing was listening prayer. I would go on walks or on my breaks at work or just around the city. And I started practicing channeling my emotions and anger and frustration and grief into intentional times of silence where I would just wait on God to bring something to those moments. Oftentimes there was nothing and every now and then there would be something profound, but I kind of just got into the habit of creating space in my life to listen to Holy Spirit and wait for her voice. And that along with some really trusted friends and spiritual directors opened up a lot of really important healing for me in that time. I also took a a prayer class with a friend of mine named Strawn Coleman, and that was also really profound uh, part of my journey. I'll link his stuff in the show notes below, and if you're in a similar space, I would highly recommend checking out his work as well. So, Nicole, what was kind of that healing process like for you in the midst of all of my emotional drama? You were going through your own thing. What was it like to carry the weight of all of that? Well, I was very fortunate to have been plugged into a little smaller community of Bridgetown even before we moved from Vancouver. I followed them on Instagram and like the story I've told many times before, joined a book club and met my sweet, emotionally healthy group of Lindy, Karen, and Amy, which I talk about probably every podcast. Um, But those women really helped me shoulder a lot of what was happening at home or with Joseph. Um, They were, they're all older women um, than me. And then just, you know, one in a similar stage of life and two older um, in different phases and just like the wisdom or the stillness or the words and the prayers that they had for me were super healing for me. And I would take those things and and kind of give them to Joseph as well. And th- those women kind of just really carried us through that season, I feel like. And all of those women come from more charismatic backgrounds in the church. And so that was something, as Joseph mentioned, one of the reasons he was fired was women in ministry um, advocating for that, but also the role of Holy Spirit. Um, and coming from a place that we didn't really exercise those giftings and now we were in a space that that was acceptable and practiced and welcomed and space was given and allowed for spirit to move. Um, it was really new for me and I just felt like so safe in a place to practice and feel like (laughs) I'm not doing this right or correct or me like practicing. This seems weird. Um, but it was so life-giving. The things that I I feel like healed from in a religious sense was really more of like helping me communicate with the Holy Spirit, giving me eyes to see the gifts that I had that I never knew that I did, but exploring wow. those things. And I think Joseph starting on that journey while in Vancouver, one of his dominoes fallen towards his demise. (laughs) I was just like, no, that's super weird. Um, I don't really understand that. Okay. And he would kind of walk me through, well, just try this thing or just try this or practice this. And I'm like, "Mm, not for me. Um, But then just being in a place that it was just, there's just more freedom in it. I could actually flourish. And so that to me was 
like my own awakening, a process to do that. And then the desire came from that of more. I want more of that and more. And I've tasted this and I can't get enough. And so I want to learn and I want to grow and I want to create these thin spaces and I want to hear from spirit and I want to give words to people. And my spiritual journey also became a healing one that I didn't know I needed from those kinds of theologies. Because at that point it was, we value our theology over this family. Over everything, really. For sure. And so, yeah, like you kind of sign up. That's what we signed up for maybe, but we didn't know it was going to be like that. Um, and so, yeah, it was it was really, really healing. Healing for me to feel confident in the spirit that I have within me and to feel confident that I could minister to Joseph, that I didn't have to call on an elder, that I didn't have to make sure it was at church that I didn't always have to like go up for prayer but like I could I could take on a lot of this I could shoulder this I could pray over him I could feel full myself and it was just this amazing season that I was like what is happening because we were also community group leaders for Bridgetown you were kind of ripping it during (laughs) that season you were just like prophetically just like in a space that I had never I've never seen that from you for sure, but we have never done that as as a couple. And it was almost like I was limping. Our family was like hemorrhaging. We were in this really vulnerable space. And the only thing that we had was like open hands. Yeah. And we were like, we don't have anything to offer these people. Our story is a disaster. Our reputation is a disaster. And thankfully, Colin, the pastor of communities was like, I think you guys have something to contribute here. Let's like, trust the Lord in this. And I mean, God showed up and it was almost like you open the door a little bit with open hands and then just like, just swings open. Yeah. It just like falls open. And then at the other side, there's like, you actually see and experience God for who God is, not just for like what God can do in moments. And that was a, that was a new realization for us. Yes, absolutely. It became it became our stories. It wasn't, I heard of this one time somebody said this to someone and it like blew their minds or somebody did this amazing thing or my mom one time. These became our things. Things were happening through us and they were becoming our stories and the stories that we tell our children and think back on. And yeah, I just, I look back at that time and like us leading a community and the relationships we had, the things that we were able to walk through, the capacity that I had to continue to serve and listen and just kind of be there for people going through trauma themselves was, it was one of those things that (laughs) I've always brought back to the phrase of Joseph would say um, at the start of kind of all of the bad things happening at at the church in Vancouver, but I want a ministry that's marked completely by Holy Spirit. I don't want anything that, how did you phrase it? Nothing that is. I don't want my ministry to have any explanation other than Holy Spirit. Yes. Because you can do things, you can be talented, you could be administrative and you can work and work and work to make something great because you're a talented, gifted person. 
but the blowing of minds doesn't really happen with individuals. That's only Holy Spirit. And that was happening in and through me. It was not because I was a perfectionist or I had a lot of friends or a lot of reach or I knew the city or whatever. It was only by the Holy Spirit. And that healed me. Yeah. Well, I want to say, <laughs> I don't want to say that I'm fully healed. And Neither of us are. It's, it's a journey for yes, sure. Yes. Not that like, okay, this one couple months experience, I'm fully healed. It's again, a process, but. Yeah. And I think that was one of the things that as we stepped into more of like a charismatic life of opening ourselves to how does God want to move in this moment, in this relationship and just kind of literally and metaphorically opening our hands. I think in those moments we were able to experience God's love. Mm -hmm. And like, that was the whole point. It wasn't even for the sake of ministry, as much as it's like, God is so real to me in this moment. And I am so confident that God loves me, that God cares for me, that God provides for me. And not every day was like that. Like the, ev there were so many days when I was like, God doesn't love me. God doesn't care for me. God is not answering my prayer. God promised that God would do something and then it didn't come to pass. And, and I was just like Moses in the desert, tending sheep and just like, you know what? I don't even care anymore. Like, I'm just going to try to work my way up in this stupid company. And like, I'm done with ministry and it's like, whatever. And then there would be a conversation or we'd have community and like, I would get a word for somebody or these like things started to happen. And I was like, okay, fresh bread for the day to like experience the love of God in this moment. Yeah, that's really beautiful. I think too that, so while Joseph was just speaking, I remembered an instance of when we were in Vancouver and he was kind of pressing into some of these topics and issues and um, got, you name the kind of counsel to make sure that this was a wise decision to talk to the elders about these things um, that, you know, could have gone great or not so well, which it was the latter. But you have this sense of like checking in with God, checking in with mentors, checking in with other people to be like, am I crazy? No. Okay. So I'm going to go forward. I'm going to trust the spirit in me to do this. And that's what happened. And then it all went to crap. So it's like, okay, what in the world? Like I trusted the Holy Spirit or I felt like- This is like, what I was confident God was calling yes. me to do. And I did it and it went really bad. Yeah, so like why would I listen to this? Was this right? Am I wrong? Like how can I believe this stuff? And I think it, it's really interesting how that could have shifted both of us to, I don't know if this stuff is real. Like this was pretty damaging. We were treated pretty poorly. Our family wasn't treated very well, even though we were, quote, family or whatever. I listened to the spirit and we got the shaft. What in the world? And that's why I think this is all only explainable by the spirit to keep us somehow in this fold and relationship, in this like sweet holding of hands that we were like never too far or something. Um, and yeah, I just... I think a lot of people, if you're listening and feel like I sense something in my body, in my soul, I feel like spirit is telling me to move forward in 
whatever it is, pursuing a new church or a new relationship or getting out of one of those things or confronting a topic with family or whatever that may look like. And you're kind of weighing the costs of, is this going to be worth it? Is this not? What if this happens? You know, pros and cons list or something. I just want to encourage you to not be discouraged if the outcome isn't seemingly super favorable. If you have a conversation and it goes really bad and you don't talk to someone for, you know, a couple of months, or if you end up leaving your job and then you don't have a job for a while and people think that wasn't wise because of COVID or, and all those things that Holy Spirit is working and moving and you trust that that instinct is good enough without yes. you having to kind of like check in first. Like, I want to do this. I want to have this conversation. I want to do this. Like, Spirit, is that cool with you? Like, can you come with me? You want to come do this together? Yes. Rather than one of our pastors here in Spokane, I remember a message a couple of weeks ago just said, just wait and listen and find out the ideas and get the inspiration from Holy Spirit first and then move forward and partner with Holy Spirit to see what that is. So all of this kind of is intricate. We woven topics in this one episode, but I think our biggest takeaway was is kind of to just like listen and wait and gain inspiration and move forward because then you have confidence knowing that even if it goes poorly, it still was an idea not from you. Mm. And so you have confidence knowing that Maybe this is what God wants you to do. Yeah, and we kind of grew up with this idea of like, don't trust your heart. The heart is deceitfully wicked. wicked above all things. And like, we're born sinners. And like, there's kind of all this theological implications of like trusting your gut that we did not grow up trusting our gut because like our gut's always going to lead us wrong. The only thing we can trust is like God's word or like, the advice of a pastor or whatever. And I think in these kind of moments where it's like spiritually abusive or there's domineering tendencies of leadership or like Nicole said, any of those situations you feel uneasy about things, trust your gut and you have a sense of like what is right and what is wrong and what is off and trust your body, trust what God is doing in you and trust that if you are obedient to what you feel God calling you to do, that is the most important thing. And that was something that I had to learn the very hard way was my obedience. And I didn't do it perfectly. And it wasn't right. like I killed it. And I had a lot of maturing and growing up to do in those chapters of my life. But big picture... I felt God calling me to do this, to confront this, to speak up about this. I knew it could go bad, but I was confident that this is what God called me to, to do. Everything went terribly. And now over two years from that moment in a very different space in our life, in a very different community, in a very different season, I look back on that moment and it was absolutely the right choice. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. And I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. And I hope if any of the pastors or elders from this church are listening, um, I don't wish you any <laughs> ill at it. all. Um, but 
it was so important for me to just obey what I, I sensed I needed to do in the moment and just say, hell or high water, I'm going to be obedient what I feel God calling me to do. And we didn't really have this in the notes. And I'm just kind of listening to you talk, get the sense that that, that might be a word for somebody. That might be an encouragement for somebody in that space who's trying to discern should they do this thing or should they say this thing? Should they confront this issue in their life, church, relationships, whatever? And I just sense like God giving you the permission to do that. And maybe your story is going to be like ours. Maybe you do the right thing and you lose your job or you lose the relationship or you lose money or you, you know, sever a tie with a close friend. And through a lot of prayer and discernment, and obviously we had community that we were bouncing ideas off and we weren't like lone wolfing it, but there's a lot, your story is a long story and these chapters are only chapters and God is, is going to work and move in those things. And so as we end, uh, you can listen more about us moving here to Spokane. We have a full episode on that. We have an episode on our transition to Portland you can feel free to go back and listen to all of those. But as we end this episode, we've already said a few things, but um, I just asked Nicole to end us with something that she sensed God saying to our listeners. So, Coley, why don't you share that with us? Yeah, so during this time, it felt really hard to feel believed that when you go up against kind of powerful people and you're not one of the powerful people, it feels like nobody believes this because you don't have that station. I kind of just wrote something that I probably wanted someone to say to us or you or would have been encouraging or whatever, so. You are not alone in this present darkness. You are not your job or your occupation. Participating in your own healing is hard work. You are seen. Abuse and trauma, doubt and discouragement come in many forms. But trust this, there is nothing you could ever do or say to make God love you less. There is nothing that has been done to you Abuse and trauma, doubt and discouragement come in many forms, but trust this, there is nothing you could ever do or say to make God love you less. There is nothing that has been done to you that makes God love you less. You are worthy of a life of joy and peace and healing and happiness. You are a king, you are a queen, or however you identify in between. You are the beloved of God. Oh, 
Well, friends, thank you so much for listening to our story. Thanks for walking with us in this journey. We're so thankful for the love and the encouragement and the support you give us. Grace and peace to all of you. We love you. We'll see you next time.